Well, church, what a gift it is to gather together on this Resurrection Sunday. And what a day it has already been. I know we've just been singing together. We've just been celebrating together. But on this Easter Sunday, as we join in with millions in the church around the world who are gathering in the name of the resurrected Savior, would you just join me right now, lifting your voice and celebrating what Easter is all about as we thank Jesus for the gift that we have? That's right. This is a celebration Sunday. Resurrection Sunday is all about a celebration. It is all about the hope that we have been given because the grave is empty and the Savior is alive. And we're going to be looking at the Word of God now together in the book of John, chapter 14. And so I want to encourage you, go ahead and grab your Bible. Join me in John, chapter 14. If you're, if you're new to Shades or perhaps you don't have a Bible with you today, there are Bibles all over the room. Just grab one of those. We want you to be able to see for yourself what the Word of God is saying as we walk through this time. And I do want to welcome you. If you're new, if this is your first Sunday at Shades or, or if you're joining us online from somewhere else. We're so glad that you are here with us today on Easter Sunday. And, and we're so thankful for the opportunity to step into John's gospel together on this day. Because we, we've been walking through the book of John for several weeks now, looking at specific statements that Jesus makes about himself. And so on Easter Sunday, I just, I want to invite you right up front. Would you examine this statement that Jesus makes about himself. Would you examine this claim that we're gonna see in John chapter 14 and determine for yourself, what do you believe about what Jesus says? What do you believe about the claims that Jesus makes about himself? John chapter 14 is our, is our text this morning. I want to read verses five and six to get us started so that we can see this statement that Jesus makes about himself. And then we'll unpack this as we go. And, and what we do each week at Shades when we read the word of God at the beginning of a message is we stand together. And so I'd like to invite you to stand just for another moment with me as I read from the word of God. And the reason we stand all around the room where we're standing together is so that we all can be reminded in a room full of people standing that the foundation that we stand upon as a church, the foundation that the Christian church has stood upon for, for almost 2000 years is the word of God. It is the solid rock, immovable word beneath our feet. And we stand out of reverence to the word of God, seeing what God says is right and good and true. Listen to the word of the Lord as Jesus interacts with one of his disciples, Thomas, in John 14, 5. Thomas said to him, to Jesus, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, here's the statement. I am the way and the truth and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. What do you see when you see this statement? Do you see the Savior? What do you believe when you hear what Jesus has claimed? We're going to consider that together 
And let's pray now that God would use this time to show us what we need to see. Would you pray with me and then we'll be seated. Father, we thank you for the good news that we celebrate on Easter Sunday. We thank you for the opportunity to gather together in the midst of this glorious day, this, this beautiful, beautiful gift that you have given to us to show us who you are and what you have done. And Lord, as we now consider this claim of Jesus on Easter Sunday, what, what it means that, that he says he is the way and the truth and the life. Lord, I just pray for each and every person joining us today that we would be honest about what we believe, that we would be honest about how we see Jesus and that we would wrestle with this claim that Jesus has made. And we pray that you would have your way among us. So Spirit, come and move in our midst and show us what we need to see. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen, amen. You may be seated. Thank you for standing with me. Oh, what a gift it is to gather together on Easter. You all look great. I want you to know it. You look great. And I realize many of you are here for the first time with family and friends. We're so glad you're here. I do want you to know though, if you are new to Bible study on this Easter Sunday or new to the church here at Shades, this passage of scripture that we're looking at, I just wanna be real honest right up front. It is a very challenging and provocative scripture. Jesus makes a very bold claim here. He makes really an audacious claim. He says he's the only way to God. He says he is the truth, the truth above all truth. He is the truth. And he says he is the life. The only way to have true life, Jesus says, is in him. And, and this is an audacious claim. This is a, a bold claim. This is even a controversial claim. When you think about the world that we live in, a world of many religions, you think about the culture that we live in specifically that says, hey, just find your own version of the truth. Just determine what you believe and follow your own path, blaze your own trail, follow your heart, come to your own conclusion. Just, just make sure you find your truth. And when you find your truth, just stay on that path. And even though many people may have many different truths, just make sure you find your truth and it'll all work out. But Jesus says something very different. Jesus says, I am the truth, not not a truth, not a version of the truth. This is very controversial in the culture that we live in. And this is gonna be challenging for, for even some people in the church because there are many people in the church with, with very good intentions who just wanna say, hey, why can't we all just, just find a way to, to agree to disagree, but everybody's gonna be okay with their own beliefs. Let, let's, just, let's just get along with one another and make sure that everyone's fine in their own belief system, but let's not, let's not offend anyone. Let's not challenge anyone. Let's, let's not say a statement that can sound so intolerant like there's only one way to God. But the challenge is the one who made the statement is Jesus himself. And so Jesus really is asking us to consider what do we believe? What do you believe? 
What do you believe about how someone can be right with God? What do you believe about how someone can receive the gift of salvation? What do you believe about how someone can know that they will have eternal life? What do you believe? Jesus makes a statement so clearly and so boldly that he wants to invite us to wrestle, to think deeply, and to make a decision based on what he has said. Now I want you to know there's tension in this. There's tension in a statement like what Jesus has made. And there was tension when Jesus made the statement. In fact, if you, if you read the beginning of John 14, the, the, the chapter that we're considering in John's gospel, Jesus comes out and says, do not let your heart be troubled. Look at that verse, John chapter 14, verse one. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. Why is Jesus saying that? Because he realizes he's in a moment of tension with his disciples. You can go back and look at this later today or, or sometime this week. John chapter 13 is, is really the beginning of, of what is gonna take place that leads Jesus to the cross. And in his final days or final moments with his disciples, we see in John 13 through 17 specifically, Jesus has gathered in a place that we call the upper room. A place that, that we now see as very sacred where, where Jesus gathered with his disciples during the Passover to observe the Passover meal. And in the midst of that meal, something beautiful happens. He pulls out a piece of bread and he holds up a cup and he says, this bread represents my body. Take and eat it. This cup represents my blood. Take and drink it. What is he doing? He's giving them a foreshadowing of what's about to take place at the cross. We now call this the Lord's Supper or communion. It's a, it's a holy ordinance of the church. You see that happen in John 13. And then after the, the, the Lord's Supper is given before the disciples, Jesus pulls out a, a, a bucket of water of some kind, a, a basin of water and a, and a towel. And he begins to wash the disciples' feet. And he's, he's showing them this message. He's saying, I have come not to be served, but to serve. And I want you to go and do the same thing. It's this beautiful scene that Jesus has with his disciples. But then after the Lord's Supper and after he washes their feet, he then makes some statements that are really, really hard for them to hear. He looks across the table. You can read this in John 13. And he looks at Judas. He says, one of you is going to betray me. And he says, it's the one to whom I give this bread. And he, he hands it to Judas. One of the own disciples is going to turn against Jesus. That's troubling to hear. Then Jesus goes on to say to the disciples, where I'm about to go, you can't go with me. And they're thinking, we've devoted our life to following you and now, now we can't go with you? I mean, what's going on? And then to, to even make it even more challenging, Jesus looks at Peter, who has really become the, the lead disciple of the, of the whole group. He looks at Peter and he says, and Peter, you're going to deny me three times. The disciples are going, man, what in the world is going on right now? This is not the plan that we had in following Jesus. One of our own is going to bail out and betray you. We can't go with you where you're going. Peter's going to deny you. It's all falling apart. What is happening? 
And so Jesus says, let not your hearts be troubled in the midst of this tension, in the midst of this troubling scene. Jesus says, hold on now. I want you to know that what's about to take place is something I've been telling you about. What's about to take place is the very reason why I came. And it may seem a little confusing right now and it may be unsettling right now and you may feel troubled right now, but this was part of the plan all along. It's as if Jesus is saying to the disciples, okay, here's where the rubber meets the road. You have heard what you need to hear. You've seen what you need to see. I'm now gonna show you why I came as I go to the cross. And I want you to know that I'm going to the cross to provide you with good news. I'm going to the cross to show you the way, the truth and the life so that you can be right with God forevermore. I'm going to do for you what you could never do for yourself so that you can be invited into a relationship with God the Father. Jesus says this in John 14 verses two and three. He says, in my father's house are many rooms and if if it were not so, would I have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself. And where I am, you will be also. This is so important in the midst of this troubling scene. The disciples are wrestling, man. This is very different than what they expected. Their circumstances have dramatically changed in a moment. And Jesus is saying to them, look, this has been part of the plan all along. It may be a surprise to you. It's not a surprise to God the Father. This is why I came. And church, I've got to say, this is so important for us to remember because there are so many times when, when we walk through challenging circumstances, when we face troubling times, when we encounter something that we never could have seen coming, when, when, we, when we step into a situation that feels completely out of our control and Jesus is reminding his disciples in that moment, when you face troubling times, when you face changing circumstances, let it be an invitation to remind you of the foundation on which you stand. Let it be an invitation to remind you that while your circumstances may change, the purpose of God never will. While your circumstances may change, the, the foundation of God's word never will. While your circumstances may be troubling and challenging, God is sovereign, he is reigning, and he is in control. And if there ever was an example of this being true, it is the cross of Jesus Christ. What appears to be the most out of control situation that the disciples could ever have encountered is actually Jesus doing exactly what he came to do. Jesus is reminding them before he goes to the cross, your circumstances, they will change, but the purpose of God never will. But look at what happens next. And I, I love these next two verses because they're so honest and they're really so helpful to each and every one of us, I believe. In John chapter 14, verse four, 
It says this, you know the way where I'm going. That's what Jesus says. You know the way where I'm going. I'm going to prepare a place for you. But then we see this, this other disciple, Thomas, who's often called the doubting disciple. He speaks up and he says, Lord, we do not know the way where you are going. How can we know the way? Now, I, I just got to say this. I know you, if you've spent any time studying the Bible or spent any time at church, you, you probably have heard about the, the, the disciple Thomas, doubting Thomas. Thomas often gets a bad rap, but I just want you to know, I think Thomas is the man. Because even though he seems to be doubting, he really, I think, is just vocalizing what everyone else is thinking. He's really honest, Thomas. He's really helpful, Thomas. Because Thomas puts into words what I'm sure some of the other disciples are feeling. And he's saying, Jesus, what in the world is going on right now? We devoted our lives to follow you. We believe you are the Messiah. And now you're telling us Judas is out. Peter's going to deny you. We can't go with you. And now you're saying we should know the way. Jesus, I'm confused. How do we know the way? How can we really be sure about what you're saying? And I love what Jesus does. Jesus responds to this very honest question with this beautiful proclamation, this bold declaration of who he is. And this is a challenging, challenging statement. Jesus says to Thomas and to all the disciples, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. And no one comes to the Father but through me. Jesus is saying, you wanted clarity? You wanted to know the way? Thomas, I want to be clear. I want you to know. I do not want you to be confused. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And I just, I just want to stop for a moment and ask you in a very personal way. Do you believe it? What do you believe about the claims that Jesus has made? What do you believe about what Jesus says about himself? How do you respond to these statements of Jesus? They are bold and they are audacious for a reason. Jesus wants to be clear and he wants us to make a decision one way or the other. To even say, yes, Jesus, I trust you. I believe you at your word or no, Jesus. I do not believe what you say. There is no way that you can be the son of God and the savior based on what you've said. Jesus, no, I'm not gonna follow you. Jesus wants to be so clear and so straightforward that we wrestle this to the ground and make a decision. C.S. Lewis in his, in his classic book, Mere Christianity, is incredibly helpful in, in this light. He, he makes this very, very clear statement based on the claims of Jesus to challenge us to consider what do we truly believe about Jesus? And I, I quote from Mere Christianity here. He says this, I'm trying to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him, talking about Jesus. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. Lewis says that's actually a foolish statement. And he goes on to say, a man who is merely a man and said the sort of things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. 
He would either be a lunatic or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come up with any patronizing nonsense about him being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. The claim that Jesus makes is a claim that calls us to a decision. If we have any intellectual integrity whatsoever, we cannot look at the claims that Jesus makes about himself and just casually dismiss him as a good moral teacher or just a prophet from years gone by. No, based on what Jesus says, we must determine, do we believe that he is the savior, that he is God or he is not? What do you believe? Let's look at these three statements real quickly from John 14, 6, and then I'll be done. What does it mean when Jesus says he is the way? When Jesus says, I am the way, what, what is he saying? Well, this is so important and this is so controversial. When Jesus says he is the way, he is actually claiming to be God. And here's why. Only God can know the only way to God. Only God can know the only way to be right with God. And so when Jesus makes this claim in authority, in confidence that I am the way, he is actually claiming to be God. He's not holding anything back here. He does not want the disciples to be confused. That's why in verse seven of John chapter 14, Jesus goes on to say, if you had known me, you would have known my father also. Jesus says, I and the Father are one. I know the only way to God because I am God. God in the flesh. God who has come to do for you and for me what we could never do for ourselves. And it is this statement. It is this claim that Jesus makes that he is God. It's this statement that sends him to the cross. The religious leaders hear what Jesus claims. They are furious. They do not believe that he is God. They believe that he is a blasphemer. So they cry out, crucify him. Crucify him. They did not realize that in going to the cross, Jesus was actually showing the truth of the claim that he makes about himself. And offering his perfect and sinless life as a sacrifice for your sin and mine, Jesus is showing that he is the spotless, unblemished lamb of God. The only one whose blood could be a worthy sacrifice, a worthy payment for your sin and mine. As Jesus goes to the cross, he is showing that he in fact is God, giving him life, giving his life for you and for me so that we can know the way to God so that we could receive the gift of salvation. Jesus says, I am the way. Do you believe it? Secondly, Jesus says, I'm the truth. 
What is this claim all about? What is Jesus saying when he says, I am the truth? Well, this claim is also very bold, also very audacious, unless it is true, because Jesus is claiming as the truth to be the fulfillment of prophecy. Jesus is saying the story of God, the story of the Bible, it points to me. That's the claim Jesus is making. As the truth, he's saying, I am the fulfillment of all that the word of God has said about the Messiah. All of the prophecy of what we would call the Old Testament or the Old Covenant, what, what, what the, the Jewish believers or the Jewish people would have just called the word of God at the time. Jesus says that is all pointing to me. I am the truth. Now, years ago, there was a, a research experiment that was conducted by a professor and some of his graduate students at a university out in California. And they, they set out to determine what would be the actual probability that one individual could be the fulfillment of some of the prophecy of the Old Testament. So they said, let's do a scientific experiment. Let's do the research. Let's determine what are the odds that one individual could be a fulfillment to eight specific prophecies that are made about the Messiah in the Old Testament. And so they, they took these eight prophecies, they studied, they did all the research, they did all the mathematical equations that are way over my head. And they came back and said, the probability that one man could be the fulfillment of eight prophecies from the Old Testament is one in 100 million billion. That's 17 zeros behind the one. One out of 100 million billion is the likelihood that one man could be a fulfillment of eight prophetic statements that were recorded over hundreds of years by different authors, divinely inspired by the Holy Spirit of God. A hundred million billion. That sounds like a made up number. 17 zeros, I mean, that's more than a quadrillion, which has 15 zeros. I don't know what a quadrillion is. That's a lot. And they basically were saying the only way statistically that it could be possible that one individual could fulfill eight prophecies from the Old Testament is if God himself was involved. They said, how can we illustrate this? Because that's a mathematical equation. It's kind of hard to understand. How can we illustrate this? And so, so they said, okay, if you took a silver dollar, I've got in my hand a silver dollar, Susan B. Anthony. And let's say you took one silver dollar and put a little mark on the back of this silver dollar. And then you covered the entire state of Texas with silver dollars stacked two feet deep. A hundred million billion silver dollars spread out over the entire state of Texas, stacked two feet deep, and you blindfolded an individual and took him to the, the border of Texas and said, okay, start walking. And whenever you feel ready, just lean down and dig into the two feet deep stack of silver dollars that spread out for hundreds of miles all around you. Pull out one and see if you get the one that has a mark on it. That's the odds. 
One out of 100 million billion that you actually grab the right, the right one. One out of 100 million billion that one individual could fulfill eight prophecies from the Old Testament. And here's what we see in the word of God. Please don't miss this. Jesus Christ is the direct and specific fulfillment of over 300 prophecies from the Old Testament. Not eight, over 300. The only way that he can be the truth is if he is God himself. The, the statistical equation is even impossible to fathom. The likelihood shows that the only way Jesus can claim to be who he is as the center of the story of God's word is if he is God himself, the way and the truth. Do you believe it? And then finally, as I close this message this morning on Easter Sunday, Jesus says, I am the life. I am the life. What does this mean? What is Jesus saying? Well, here Jesus is claiming that he has the authority over sin and death. This is the hope that we have on Easter Sunday. This is the beauty of the celebration of the resurrection. Jesus Christ has defeated sin and death. Jesus Christ is the one who has given us access to life, to life eternal because of his finished work on the cross and his victory over death and the power of the resurrection. This is the good news of what Christ has done. I love the way the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, beginning in verse 54, he says, when the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where, O oh, death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is saying, Paul is saying, the word of God is saying, sin leads to death, but Jesus leads to life. Let me ask you again, do you believe it? Do you believe the claims that Jesus has made? Do you believe the power of the resurrection? Or have you just gathered together today in an attempt to do the right thing so you can get a really good lunch? What does Easter mean to you? Is this a personal celebration of the one who is the way, the one who is the truth, the one who is the life, the one who invites us to the Father? Or are you just going through the motions? What do you believe? Because what Jesus claims about himself, it invites us to honestly examine what we believe and to make a decision, a personal decision, decision that either Jesus is who he claims to be or Jesus should be dismissed altogether, never to be thought of again. What do you believe? Jesus says, I am the way, 
I'm the truth. I'm the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. This is an invitation in his love and in his grace to call you to himself and to invite you into the good news of the gospel, the finished work of the cross that is seen in an empty grave calls you and me to receive the greatest news that we could ever receive if we will trust by faith in what Christ has done. Let me pray for us as we close and sing together, celebrating what this day is all about. Let's pray. Father, I am so grateful that in your love and grace towards us, you have been so explicitly clear in your word to show us the way, to show us the truth, to show us the life so that all who trust in you, so that all who receive this good news can receive the way, the truth, and the life with you forevermore. Oh, thank you, Lord, for the clarity of your word. Thank you, Lord, for the clarity of, of the claims of Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for the finished work of the cross and the empty tomb that shows us sin and death has been defeated. There is a Savior who has done for us exactly what we need. Lord, we are grateful to celebrate this good news on Easter. And recognize that there are some gathered among us or some gathered online today who have never experienced this good news in a real and personal way. Maybe they've heard about Jesus many, many times. Maybe they've been around the church their entire life. Maybe this is all brand new to them. They realize in what Jesus has claimed about himself, there, there is an invitation to a decision. And right now, there are, there are individuals among us, I know they're wrestling with, do I, do I just continue to dismiss Jesus? Push him away? Or do I step out on faith and say, Jesus is who he claims to be. And I need what Jesus alone can provide. Lord, for any among us today who realize they need that relationship with the Savior, that, that gift of salvation, that gift of forgiveness of sin, that victory over sin and death through the empty tomb, Lord, I pray today that they would simply say, Jesus, I am ready to trust and follow the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus, I'm ready to receive the gift of salvation that you alone can provide. Father, we celebrate, we celebrate that it is by grace through faith that we can be saved. We celebrate that you have done what is necessary for us to receive that gift of salvation. We thank you on Easter Sunday for what this day represents and for the hope that we have because our Savior is alive. Oh, Jesus, we love you. We celebrate you above all else. It's in the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.